I'm going to do this. I'm going to run for the United States Senate. The time is now for fresh ideas and new leadership. I'm running for student council because of you and for you. That is why I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for president of the United States of America. Welcome to the Arena Talks podcast, where we interview emerging political leaders from across the country. My name is Robbie Gupta, co-founder of the Arena, and today we interview Arena fellow Luba Gretchen Shirley, who's running for Congress in New York's second congressional district. That district includes parts of Suffolk and Nassau counties and currently has a representative in Congressman Peter King, who's been in office for a long time. And this is the first time he's facing a super credible challenger. And so Luba will talk about the issues, what makes her different than Peter King, but she'll also talk about her recent high profile campaign to push the Federal Election Commission to allow campaigns to use uh, election funds to pay for childcare. And Luba talks about how we can't just have millionaires running for office. We need regular folks running for office. And the key to that is to make campaign accessible to new mothers and fathers. So let's jump right in. Luba Gretchen Shirley, welcome to the Arena Talks podcast. Thank you, Ravi. Happy to be here. So Luba, you are running for Congress in the New York 2nd Congressional District. Uh, Your family has actually been in Long Island, uh, from what I understand, going back about five generations Tell us about the district. What parts of New York State are we talking about here? So the second district is about 35% in Nassau County and 65% in Suffolk County. It's the south shore of Long Island. Uh, It goes up to about Wyandanche and Brentwood in the middle part of the island. And it starts in Seaford in Nassau County and goes a little past Sayville in Suffolk County. Got it. And, you know, your family's been around for a while and, and you have a pretty strong connection to this district. Tell us a little bit about how your family got to this district. Uh, and, you know, what your connections over the years have been and why now, like after all of this experience that you and your family have had in the district, why you decided to enter politics and I imagine be the first person uh, in your family to seek higher office. Yes. Um, Well, my grandparents are both immigrants. My grandmother actually came through Ellis Island. My grandfather came through Boston. They they left Russia during the revolution, and they they came here with very little English. My grandmother actually had no English when she first got here, and they they lived in the city. They had their first two children in the city, and then they they moved out to Long Island to to. To go after their American dream. They bought a home out here, which is actually the home that I live in now that I'm raising my children in. They bought it back in the 40s and they moved out here and they had my mom here in Amityville. And my grandmother built a small business selling wool and yarn. And my grandfather got a job at Grumman and started, he, he worked on the, the first lunar module to land on the moon, the LEM. And they they raised their three children out here. And this is, this is where I was born and raised. And I am... Um, I moved back. I've worked all over the world and I moved back out here when I, when my husband and I started our family and I had no intention of running for office. I work in global development and poverty alleviation. And after, after the 2000s, I mean, I've always been involved politically. I was a county committee member for years. I've, you know, I studied politics in undergrad. And then after the election, I started a local group. I called it New York Second District Democrats. It was an indivisible group. And it grew into 3,000 people pretty quickly because it turns out that people were just as as angry about the, the direction that our country is taking um, as I am. And I, you know, I started organizing daily action items and lobby days and, and holding Peter King accountable for his voting record. And I was waiting for the right person to come along and run against him and finally realized that I was that person. Yeah, let's talk about that voting record for uh, Congressman King. 
he voted to repeal the ACA. And from what I understand, you know, as in most districts in the country, the there are folks in your district without health care. I think if I read there are 72,000 folks in your district without health insurance. There are also a few major hospitals that lost funding uh, in part because of that repeal legislation. Tell us more about what you're seeing out there and how folks are suffering because of his vote. Well, he, he voted he voted to repeal the ACA, which would have left one in 10 people in our district without health insurance. And it would have cut $14 million in funding from three hospitals in this district. And then, you know, he said, we'll see what happens when it goes over to the Senate. And the bill went over to the Senate. And then when it came back, he said, well, now I can't vote for it because it would take funding away from hospitals in the district. And Peter King has gotten away with people not paying attention to his voting record for a really long time. So he people actually thought he was doing the right thing when he didn't vote for it when it came back after the Senate changed it. But the reality is the first bill that he voted for took away that funding and would have left one in 10 people without health insurance. I mean, there are, there are 28 million people in this country who still don't have health insurance and millions more who are underinsured. And people were, people were angry. People have... You know, the healthcare it should not be a privilege for the wealthy. It is it is a human right. And I actually got a meeting with Peter King, and during that meeting, I, I asked if he would hold a town hall, and he told me that it would turn into a screaming session that would diminish democracy. And uh, that was that was shocking to me. So I, I actually organized a town hall for him, and 300 people showed up. And healthcare was the number one topic that people were concerned about. People were worried about losing their coverage. People were worried about having, you know, if they have a pre-existing condition, whether or not it would be covered anymore. And that was that was the number one issue. And he didn't show up. He refused to come and speak with his constituents. And so, you know, Congressman King is acting like somebody who can take his constituents for granted, and. He must be looking at the history here. You know, this is a district where he's been uh, comfortably, he's comfortably won uh, pretty much every election he stood for there. You know, in 2016, he won 57-35. In 2014, he ran, he won 65-28. Trump won the district 53-44, although Obama won it twice before that. What makes you think that this is the time uh, where uh, Congressman King is most vulnerable? There are a lot of reasons. Um, the number one reason, I think, is that he really hasn't faced a serious challenge in a very long time. Um, the last time the candidate was able to raise any any sort of significant money against King was in was was twelve years ago when Dave Mejias ran and he raised almost a million dollars. But for the most part, if you look at the races that have that have been run against him, there are people who have not organized field campaigns. There are people who have not have actually gone out to the district and talked to people on the ground who haven't been able to raise the money that's needed to unseat a 25-year Republican incumbent. And this year is different because people are people are fired up. People are paying attention to his voting record. When I started this group, I I did not expect it to grow into 3,000 people so quickly. And it turns out that there are a lot of people who are angry at Peter King and his voting record and didn't know what to do. When I first, you know, after the election, I called the local Democratic Party in Suffolk County. I called all of our local elected officials and I wanted to know what the plan was. And nobody got back to me. It turned out that there was not a plan. And when I organized this group, it was it was the first time that people in this district had any sort of organization to fight back against Peter King. We had one of our first meetings, about 100 people showed up. This was March of last year. 
And I said, I said, how many people I asked, how many people in the room had voted for King previously? And more than, uh, more than 30 people in that room raised their hand. More than 30 people had voted for King in 2016 and had come out on a Sunday morning to learn how to unseat him because people are now paying attention to his voting record and we are now organizing people. So the difference is that, that we're, we're raising the funds. In the first two months of my campaign, I actually had more individual contributors than anyone who's ever run against him in his 25 years in office. And we have thousands of people across the district already knocking on doors, organizing meet and greets, getting out and talking to their neighbors. And that's how you unseat somebody after 25 years. It has to be a grassroots campaign and people need to be energized. So in part, you know, you're dealing with two different county machines, the Nassau County machine and the Suffolk County machine. And by reputation, you're going up against not just a formidable Republican incumbent, but you're also, you've been battling forces within the Democratic Party. And particularly, uh, there's a machine out there in Suffolk County that, uh, or at least according to articles and by reputation, in some ways is standing in, in, uh, in the way of progress and preventing Democrats like yourself from ascending. Uh, what's going on out there? And what have, what have you come across as you've uh, embarked on this journey, not only to run for Congress, but have considered running for other seats uh, out there in Suffolk and Nassau County? Yeah, um, there is there is a machine in Suffolk County, and there are there are people who um, there are a lot of backroom deals, and there are a lot of a lot of you know behind the scenes maneuvering that takes a lot of power away from the voters. And I don't agree with that. I think that voters should should have the choice. I don't think that party bosses should be making decisions. I don't agree with making with making deals with other parties to ensure that certain people are elected to certain seats. And that, unfortunately, is what we we see a lot about here in Suffolk County. And I've I've definitely butted heads with with some people because I call out that corruption, and I will continue to call out that corruption because I think we need to be talking about the issues, and I think voters need choices. And so, tell us more about that. So, you know, folks who don't know Long Island politics well uh, would probably be confused by what you said. Why would uh, you know Democrats be working with Republicans to uh, prevent? Democrats for ever challenging a seat. Why would why would folks make that deal? Why would Democrats ever be interested in that deal? There, there are some um, there are trade offs. For instance, if you if you can keep control of the Suffolk County Legislature, you might give up some some more federal seats. And and there's it's a party patronage system. So there, there are definitely some people who are you know that, that rule the party in terms of party patronage. But um, it's really, it's just, it's, it's, it's really important to just make sure that the voters have, have a say and that the voters, that there is transparency and that people are paying attention to who's running for which seats and, and to focus on the issues. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do with running this campaign. And so, you know, you've, you've come up against, you know, a, an entrenched Republican incumbent, the, the Democratic machine, uh, but you're also taking on certain norms of campaigns and you've made a, a huge splash lately by uh, making an appeal to the Federal Elections Commission to allow you to use campaign funds for childcare. Uh, tell us uh, what made you, I mean, beyond the obvious, uh, what, what pushed you to um, make the stand now? And uh, has anybody else tried this before? Yeah, so there, 
There's a reason that more than half of our representatives are millionaires. It's very difficult for a normal working American to to take a year to a year and a half off of our lives without a salary and run for office. Running for office is a 24-7 job. You are working round the clock and there's no salary. So it's difficult for people who aren't independently wealthy to be able to, you know, maintain maintain their lives, pay their mortgage, pay for childcare. I, you know, to to give up a salary and to work full time, I wasn't able to afford childcare on top of everything. And we were spending the time raising the funds and I wanted to be able to to use some of my campaign funds to hire. We hired a part-time babysitter and, you know, she's she's actually downstairs with my children right now and I wouldn't be able to take this time to talk with you if she weren't here. So she's she's making us because of her we're actually able to run this campaign and she's just as important as my campaign manager, my finance director, and she's an integral part of our team. And it's to, to request this from the FEC, if this is approved, it's a game changer. It will change the way that parents of young children and working Americans get involved in the political process. And two people actually have, have requested this and had it approved in the past. Uh, one, was a, one was a gentleman who was a representative who about 15 years or so ago, had requested to be able to use some of his campaign funds so that his wife could travel with him um, so so she could travel on campaign trips and watch their children, and that was approved. And then about 10 years ago, a gentleman who was running for office who had been a stay-at-home father put in the similar request, and his, his request was approved so that he could use campaign funds on daycare so that he would be able to go out and campaign. The only thing was that there were only two sitting commissioners at the time, so it didn't it wasn't a quorum and it didn't count as an official ruling. So I'm the first female candidate to put this request in and if it's approved there are four sitting commissioners. This will be an official ruling and it will it will set precedent for people moving forward that people can use campaign funds on childcare because if you if you don't have childcare it's very difficult unless you're independently wealthy to take a year off and run for office. And this this is it's just a first step in ensuring that we have people in office who understand what it's like to juggle, you know, healthcare bills and student loans and and childcare. And that's that's the type of person we need in DC making these decisions for us. And so you have a primary coming up in June and you're running against somebody who I believe has run for the seat before. Tell us a little bit about uh, the dynamics of this race, uh, how you, uh, you know, how you're placed to do in June, uh, and what people who are listening to this can do to help you get over the top. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, I have a primary. Four people have actually already dropped out of the primary, including one person who loaned himself a million dollars. And I have one last primary opponent left. He ran in 2016. And he lost by 24 points in 2016. And he wasn't able to raise the funds necessary to, to mount a serious challenge. And he's, he's running a very similar campaign this time. And we are, we're doing really well. We, we raised more than double what he did last quarter. We have more than three times the cash on hand. We have the ability to, to really unseat Peter King. And we have thousands of volunteers across the district. We have support from, from, you know, local groups to state assembly members to national figures to Governor O'Malley, who ran for president in 2016. And we have the best chance to unseat Peter King. And I'm, I'm confident we will win the primary. And if people want to help and volunteer, the, there are two things we need right now. Donations, small dollar donations. Right now, our average contribution is, is under $100. So people can contribute online. Our 
our website is uh, it's Luba for Congress. It's L-I-U-B-A for Congress.com. And we need people to come out and knock on doors. If people are in the city, they can come out to Long Island, people all across Long Island. We need people knocking on doors, organizing meet and greets, talking to voters, phone banking. You can phone bank from anywhere in the country. If you're interested, you can sign up on our website and we will we'll put you to work because this is this is a grassroots campaign and we need the volunteers. So you know this is your first campaign. Beyond uh, the difficulties of being a parent while running, what are some of the other surprising uh, things that you've learned out there that could be illustrative to people within the arena community who are embarking on their first campaigns? Well, (laughs) the amount of call time that you have to do. I think that was the most surprising um, aspect of running a campaign. I was under the impression that I would have much more time to talk to to talk to constituents, to talk to voters, to get out there and talk about the issues. That's that's what I love about campaigning, and I would love to be able to do that more. But the the amount of call time, the time that's necessary to to raise the funds, which is it was a good reminder of why I need to get to Congress and actually fight for campaign finance reform. You know, you're going up against somebody who has a pretty long voting record. What are some of the other issues that separate you from Congressman King? Congressman King has voted against paid family leave. He voted against the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. He's actually against equal pay for women for equal work. He is against women's right to choose, even in the cases of rape or incest. He has a strong anti-woman agenda, and he has... He has gotten away with pretending to be bipartisan for a very long time, but in reality, he has extremist views. This is a man who held McCarthy-style Muslim hearings back in 2011. He said that there are too many mosques in this country and that 80% of mosques are run by radicals. He told he has told dreamers. I, I actually have I, I know some dreamers who went down to DC to meet with him because he refused to meet with them here on Long Island, and he told them that he didn't consider them legitimate. And that I mean that's horrifying to me. These are these are people who are incredible members of our community who pay billions of dollars a year in taxes, who fund the retirements of of native-born Americans. They are paying into social security and not taking any benefits, and they are part of the fabric of our society and to have our representative tell them that he doesn't consider them legitimate is is it's terrible. And um we have you know, our representative supported Donald Trump leaving the Paris Accord and until recently actually supported offshore drilling. He changed his mind on that, but only because so many Long Islanders, Republicans included, fought back. We have people who five years later are not back in their homes after Hurricane Sandy. And we have, you know, we're we're a coastal district. We have people who whose homes flood regularly. The flood insurance premiums are increasing so much that people can't afford to live here anymore. We have people who are fishermen, who are lobstermen, whose businesses are being affected by by climate change, and we have a representative who supported leaving the Paris Accord. So these are those are just some of the the extremist views that he that he holds, and we need a representative who's actually fighting for the district. And so on that, uh, we want to get you back out there on the trail, uh, you know, doing call time, but hopefully <laughs> doing other things as well. Um, what do you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, as we break. You've told them how to get involved. Um, what else do you want to say uh, as we uh, close out here? This is this is our chance to unseat someone who has been in office for 25 years. And this is a grassroots movement. When I first started my group, I was you know, organizing protests with a baby strapped to my back and my toddler in my hand. And 
And that's, you know, this started as a, as a frustrated parent who wanted to make a difference. And we are building an incredibly strong grassroots campaign that has a real opportunity to unseat someone who's been in office for 25 years. And we're seeing that across the country. We're seeing, you know, Democrats and progressive-minded people who are, who are fighting back against these policies of fear and divisiveness that have become all too pervasive. And we absolutely can make a difference. We can change the way the machine works. And, you know, I'm, I'm angry that more than half of our representatives are millionaires who don't understand how we live our lives. I'm angry that almost half of Americans who are in bankruptcy are there because of medical bills. I'm angry that children, myself included, not a child anymore, but people, we are graduating with hundreds of thousands of dollars of school loan debt. You know, I, I pay $1,000 a month in school loans, which is a, an interesting thing to do when you quit your job and decide to run for office. But that is exactly the type of person that we need in DC making these decisions. And I would love to see people volunteering on all of these incredible campaigns that are happening around the country. People should step up and run for office as well, because if we if we continue to build these grassroots campaigns, we can take back the house and we can change the way that our that our government works. We can have a government that is actually representative of society. So I'm I'm thrilled to be running. It's been it's been an incredible seven months, and uh, I hope that everyone will will come out and volunteer on campaigns this year. This is this is the year we take back the house. Well, Luba, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Robbie. Mm-hmm.